the GBA national president, Yao Echampong Bwafu, past presidents of the GBA, Nana Nomna, Nana Himafu, the clergy present, Imams, distinguished members of our profession and other professional bodies invited, members of the Fourth Estate, distinguished UCC guests here in present, led by the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Competitive Choice. Our hosts, ladies and gentlemen. Another legal year has come to an end, and we've gathered to give account of our stewardship as leaders and members of the Ghana Bar Association and to prepare for the next legal year. In my capacity as the President of the Central Regional Bar, and on behalf of members of the Central Regional Bar, I wish to emphasize our gratitude to the National Council for choosing this region to host this year's August Conference. Your Excellency, distinguished guests, members of the Bar, let me take the opportunity to welcome our sweet mother, sister, and daughter, the number three in Ghana, the Chief Justice of our Republic, <laughs> Justice Gertrude Araba. Isaba Saki Tokonu to her first conference as the Chief Justice on the special occasion of her birthday. Which falls today. Today is her birthday. It is our prayer that she has a very successful tenure in the envious position she now occupies. In welcoming you today, members of our profession, let me not deviate from the tradition of giving you some background information about the central region. Historically, the people of this region were the first to get in contact with the European explorers, traders, clergy, educators, before the rest of modern-day Ghana. And as we had the privilege of benefiting from some of the positives of the contact, as lawyers will no doubt be aware that law practice began in and around the Cape Coast Castle and the then government house which still stands. It is therefore no wonder you produce a very brilliant son in the law practice, an educationist and author, John Sawa, the first African to be called to the English bar in 1887. Our gathering in Cape Coast, more or less, it's a homecoming. The region has produced other prominent lawyers and judges, including former chief justices, law professors, and other legal luminaries whose footsteps we are proud to be associated with. On this note, let me raise a side issue that has agitated not only lawyers and judges in this region, 
but all persons who have had the benefit of visiting the Cape Coast court complex built in the Kutu Achampon region and commissioned in 1976, but now a death trap waiting to cause negative headlines in our media. The complex is in serious state of disrepair. Promises given over the years have not been fulfilled. Acquired land for a new complex is lying in a prime area of the Akratakrade Highway, opposite Adisada College, the alma mater of the leader of the bar. <laughs> Our prayer is that something concrete is done to replace the existing complex. There are 12 high courts, seven circuit courts, 24 district courts spread across the region. The central region is often referred to correctly as the mecca of education in Ghana. Cape Coast alone has 12 second circuit institutions in spite of the fact that it is not a very big capital town. The region has three public universities and two private universities, running all the privileged courses from law through medicine, engineering, to computer science and the humanities, with nearly 100,000 students undergoing regular courses distance education, sandwich, and weekend courses every year. Our second circuit schools have a long-standing historical record of excellent output in moral and academic achievements. Ghanaians from all parts of the country strive to be enrolled in the second circuit schools which have produced lots of national achievements over the years. Because formal education started in the castles and communities along the coast, you only have to enjoy the Cape Coast fancy, which is spoken spice with English. While in town, do not be surprised to hear English spoken by some old ladies while speaking the fancy. We like to look European in Cape Coast. The central region has a population of about 3 million people with a small female majority over males, spread over the 9,826 square kilometers. And uh, most of our people are engaged in farming, fishing, trading, and mining. Nature has gifted us with good soil, the sea, and rivers which are now mostly polluted in the western part of the region, but still good in the eastern side. And we have minerals especially good. Cash crops like cocoa, oil palm, coconut, pineapples, rubber, citrus are found across our region. And we still have some forest reserves. Investors in agriculture will find opportunities exist in central region. Tourism facilities and events exist with rich historical background. Between July and September each year, a lot of festivals are celebrated depicting the culture and history of the people of this region. We are basically fantasies Chi and Guan, with migrant communities along the coast in the typical farming areas. We unfortunately missed the fatal affair of the chiefs and people of Ogwa, whose celebration was climaxed only yesterday. 
There are other festivals which are peculiar to only Central Region and celebrated every year as among the Efutus, that's Winneba, where the two warrior groups compete in catching a live deer in a forest reserve, as well as the Ahoba Festival of part of the Fanti area, which is celebrated for the life and death of Ejaho, a man who gave himself to be sacrificed in pacification rituals against a pandemic that was killing a lot of the people. Kindly find time to join us in any of the celebrations and experience the rich culture of our region. Our region has perhaps the biggest palace in Ghana. And the Omahime of that area is a lawyer. You may be privileged to find time to go to Asinkushia. On the political front, the region is divided into 25 and 23 constituencies. The region is the birthplace of colonial rule and indeed agitation against colonial rule also started here with groups founded by the indigents and later joined by others from outside the region. In 1897, John Major together with J.W. Johnson, Jacob Wosinse, J.P. Brown, and J.E.K. Slayford co-founded the Aborigines Rights Protection Society, which led, organized, and sustained opposition against the colonial government and laid the foundation for our fight for independence. Cape Coast was the capital of the Gold Coast until it moved to Accra in 1877. The Central Region continues to play its significant and leading role in this great country of ours. It is therefore with pride and privilege that we welcome you all to this year's conference, and it is our prayer that you will enjoy your stay whilst you are here. You are all welcome, Yamahona Kawa. Thank you, the Central Regional Bar President. May I now humbly invite the Honorable Attorney General and Minister of Justice and the official leader of the Bar, Fred Yabu Adame, to give us his address. Thank you very much. Good morning. Ladies and the Chief Justice, this is Gertrude Araba Esaba Saki Tokunu. That is the Supreme Court. That is the Superior Court of Judicature, Yale Garden. Retired Justices of the Supreme Court, Justices Amigache and Jones Victor Maulo, I greet you. Honorable Ministers of State, members of Parliament, the President of the Ghana Bar Association, Sayawa Champon Bafo, the President of the Central Regional Bar, Deputy Attorney General Afretia Yeboah, members of the Bar Council, Dogwahine, Osaberima Kusiata, the second, as a question for the matter. Eminent clergy, members of the bar, ladies and gentlemen. It is a delight to be in the company of colleagues at the bar. The bar conference presents that rare opportunity to meet fellow lawyers from different walks of life 
from Bogatanga to Takrade, whether we practice in commerce or crime, and whether we work in the public service or private practice. It reinforces my conviction that fundamentally we are one bar and a strong one at that. Since the last bar conference in Hull, we have had a new Chief Justice in the person of her leadership justice, Araba Isaba Saki Tokuno, the third woman to occupy the office and the 15th in the history of Ghana. I have no doubt that the repertoire of qualities, skills, and experience she possesses will place her in a position to continue the process of modernizing and transforming Ghana's judiciary. Congratulations, my lady. The bar of which I'm the official leader is in full support of your tenure, and I pledge the fullest cooperation of the Office of Attorney General and Minister of Justice for you as well. May God be your guide as we superintend justice delivery in our great republic. Keep course, and I think I must also extend a happy birthday to you. And indeed, if I had I'm sure some bouquet would have arrived at your door. It's never too late in this regard. Keep course represents many of the good things in law practice. The first captain of the Gold Coast and the hometown of the first indigenous lawyer of our land, John Ben Sasaba. It is apt to say that Cape Coast is indeed the cradle of the law in Ghana. The first Supreme Court building is located a few miles away from this venue. And at this point, I may say that I'm aware of plans to construct a new high court premise, high court complex not too far away from Adisade College. As part of this government's agenda to deliver a set of modern and fit for purpose infrastructure for the judiciary throughout the country. Was not opposed to the idea of construction of a new high court complex for the people of Cape Coast, I am of the view that we should also renovate and preserve the significance of that beautiful edifice, which once housed our Supreme Court as a historical monument for Ghana's judiciary. Most occupants of the highest echelons of power in our legal profession, the offices of the Chief Justice and the Attorney General, had their secondary education in Cape Coast. Many a lawyer obtained some lettering from a Cape Coast high school. And I hope that lawyers gathered here will, in the course of the week, find time to undertake some outreach activity at their respective institutions. Personally, Cape Coast holds good sentiments for me as well. I did my primary education in Cape Coast, starting from class one at a Bersam Memorial Preparatory School and continuing all the way up to secondary level at Adisade College, where I was part of the last batch of both the ordinary and advanced level candidates in 1994 and 1996, respectively. And in talking about Cape Coast's contribution to the law, it is fitting to recall that the flame of Adisade burns bright. I understand, <laughs> I understand the Wesley Girls people fondly say quite rightly that they have produced the first lady chief justice of Ghana. And congratulations, all three, that's good. But the record also shows, but the record also shows that before Chief Justice Georgina Wood, the three, three of the immediate last four Chief Justices, and I talk about Philip Edward Archer, Edward Kwame Redu, and George Kinsley Archer, were all decided for that. <laughs> so indeed, the tree was blazed quite some time ago. And it's understandable why the new High Court will be located opposite at the side That is where the law is. Colleagues, I was struck by the importance of the choice of theme by the bar for this year's conference, ensuring high standards and integrity in life, in public life, the role of the legal profession. It cannot be overstated that the legal profession indeed has a huge role to play in the setting of high standards and integrity in public life. The law, which members of this profession practice, consists of a set system of rules by which a particular country or community regulates the actions of its members and which it may enforce by way of penalties. The bar, of course, has always had close links with public life. The history of the land on which we live has seen a very intimate dependence on the law. The application of the good coast by the British and the manner in which the British chose to regulate their relationship with the indigenous people depended on law. After independence, law continued to shape the policies and visions of successive governments, dreams and aspirations of the people. Every new administration has been ushered in by law. Even the military regimes that abrogated the constitution have been quick to put in place various military decrees to regulate their reigns as well as to formally abrogate the old constitutions. The political architecture of our country 
is a creation of the law. Ghana is built on a legal instrument, the Constitution, approved by a national referendum in April 1992. The election of the president every four years is always validated by the publication of a law, the constitutional instrument titled the Declaration of President-Elect Instrument. In driving home the preeminence of the law in the affairs of state, I cannot help but quote once again the immortal words of Justice Azukrab, former Chief Justice, at the time of the celebration of the centennial of the establishment of the Supreme Court in 1976. And it goes as follows. If our legal history has been eventful in this past century, we can only say that we have been lucky in the people of our nation who have been alive in every generation to match the grandeur of the events of the time. We have in these past years never needed a hero in the law to speak up for our people. It cast a forward to warn the imperial power to keep our lands inviolate. A Mesa Saba to plead the people's cause in the highest councils of empire. A Kuse to guide in the writing of our first constitution towards independence. In our own lifetime, a Dankwa to keep us reminded of the need for legal self-discipline in the tumultuous years immediately after independence. And a Corsa to hold first among our people the skills of justice evenly between the government, HHI, and the people, end of quote. Throughout much of the history of post-independence Ghana, there has been a shared culture between the bar and the higher reaches of government and civil service. There has never been a gulf between the walls of law and politics. A very large number of practicing barristers have been members of the House of Parliament. The speakers of Parliament Ghana has had so far have been lawyers. The First Republic has seen three of its five presidents so far being lawyers. Unfortunately, it looks like the next president will not be a lawyer. However, it is becoming increasingly quite clear that even though the next president will be an economist, being the son of a lawyer, <laughs> even though the next president, in my view, will definitely be a an economist, being the son of a lawyer, he will hold fast to the value the legal profession cherishes. If lawyers have played this prominent role in the building and development of our country, then their role in the maintenance of standards and the promotion of integrity in public life cannot be taken for granted. The significance of integrity is summed up in the famous words of former U.S. Senator Alan K. Simpson, and it goes as follows. If you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you do not have integrity, nothing else matters. End of quote. In this ways, the importance and indispensability of integrity in every situation we find ourselves in as human beings, including our public life, is brought to the fore. As lawyers, the rules of our profession which bind us up to the discharge of our fivefold duty to the client, the court, the opponent, to the lawyer's own self, and ultimately to the state, as stated by Lord Mark Miglan, a former Advocate General of Scotland and former member of laws, are founded on integrity and place us in a position to ensure the maintenance of high standards in public life. Colleagues, in my respectful view, the legal profession, professional conduct and etiquette rules 2020, LI 2423, is carefully designed to serve as a signpost for high standards and integrity in the public service for every lawyer. Rule 1 of LI 2423 says that the lawyer's duty to discharge his responsibilities towards the client, the court, the public, and another lawyer honorably and with integrity. In the same rule, you find the lawyer's responsibility in view of the important role of the legal profession in a free democratic society to recognize the diversity of the Ghanaian community, to protect the dignity of individuals, and to respect human rights enforced in the country. Rule 5 of LI 2423 teaches us that the representation by a lawyer, that lawyer is, and I quote, a representative of a client, an officer of the legal system, and a public citizen with special responsibility for the delivery of quality justice, end of quote. Quite importantly, and I've often spoken about this, by dint of Rule 12, Sub Rule 1, a lawyer is prohibiting the course of his professional practice from sending written correspondence or communicating orally with another lawyer in a manner that is abusive, offensive, or inconsistent with the proper conduct of a professional communication from a lawyer. Rule 14, Sub Rule 2, further prohibits a lawyer from making a communication that is false or misleading if that communication amounts to a material misrepresentation of a fact or law. This really applies to lawyers who are constant users of or communicators on social media and the traditional media. 
It is abundantly clear from these rules that the age-old requirements of profession, insofar as ethics is concerned, apply to lawyers on social media. Indeed, technology did not eradicate ethics. Rule 34 dictates that every lawyer shall make reasonable efforts to expedite litigation. As you can imagine, this is of interest to me. The considerably slow pace of justice delivery in Ghana hampers productivity and progress in many spheres of the nation's life. In accordance with Rule 34, it is the duty of every lawyer to expedite litigation. One of justice delivery, which requires urgent injection of expedition efficiency, is criminal justice. I recently presented to Cabinet a criminal procedure amendment bill, which introduces a substantial reform of the criminal procedure laws of this country, with the ultimate objective of enhancing the speed of education in criminal cases. The new measures proposed include scrapping trials on indictment, except where the offense is punishable by death or life imprisonment, as enshrined in the Constitution or other substantive law. Of witnesses by video conference, an accused person is not personally present in court. Day to day trial of all criminal cases, except where same, is impracticable. Restriction on interlocutory appeals to only after a determination by the trial court of a submission of no case by the accused. Reform of the jury system to reduce the list of exemptions from jury service. And I think I must indicate that going forward, lawyers will serve as jurors. The composition of the jury by the introduction of the concept of alternate jurors, adoption of proceedings in criminal cases, and many other matters. The bill underwent extensive stakeholder consultations prior to its presentation in Cabinet, and I note with satisfaction that the Judicial Council and the Ghana Bar Association have approved of those far-reaching reforms of criminal procedure in Ghana. I'm hopeful that Cabinet Derivate on same rapidly in order for it to be laid in Parliament when parliamentary sittings resume in October. Respectfully, at the heart of the legal profession are three commitments to independence, to excellence, and to advocacy. These three tenets, combined with the bar's high degree of tenacity, explain why the bar has survived in Ghana since 1876 and why, in my view, it will continue to survive and thrive. We should not take these things, these things for granted. The essential elements of a profession must be guarded against elements who seek to destroy him. Lawyers must fearlessly speak against tendencies which threaten the integrity of our profession. Fearlessness, indeed, is an age-old attribute of a good advocate. Rule 52 of LI 24-23 specifically restrains lawyers from making statements which they know to be false or with reckless disregard for their falsity concerning the integrity of a judge, an adjudicative officer, or a public legal officer. Rule 61, paragraph B, subparagraph III, proceeds to further bar lawyers from engaging in conduct which diminishes confidence in the administration of justice. We cannot turn a blind eye to the reality that has become customary for some people, indeed it's an annual affair, to launch unwarranted attacks on the independence of the judiciary. If the source of the recent attacks on the independence of the judiciary is of concern, of even greater worry is a class of people who provide audience for such unwarranted comments to be made. The audience consisted of lawyers. It is worrying because, as I've stated before, lawyers ought to be the loudest and strongest defenders of the of independence, integrity, and importance of the judiciary, rather than serving as tools for its destruction. By their silence, they became abettors in the propagation of hate against the judiciary. For one to express the desire, to appoint mainly members of one's political party to the judiciary, if given the mandate to govern the nation again, clearly indicates an unfamiliarity with the process of appointment of judges. Whilst appointing the constitutional duty to the president to appoint all judges in the country, it is imperative to note that the president does not appoint judges to any, country, to any court in a vacuum or in that regard. Each appointment onto the judiciary is preceded first by an indication of a vacancy by the Judicial Council. Without a vacancy, the President cannot appoint. We cannot in this regard rule out the coincidence of situations. If a vacancy arises, it falls for whichever President is in office to formally fill same by appointing after the exhaustion of all constitutionally mandated procedures. Thus, 
the notion that the president can just appoint any member, any number of judges that he desires in order to neutralize, in quotes, the perceived declaration of the judiciary. It is correct, grossly misleading. Further, the participation of the Judicial Council as well as the Council of State and Parliament, where necessary, in the processes of appointing a judge stipulated in Article 144 of the Constitution, cannot be ignored. The President also does not have the power to empanel any court in the country. Respectfully, a consequence of the government's policy to expand and improve infrastructure of the judiciary through the construction of over 100 high court buildings around the country and the Court of Appeal Complex in Kumasi, which has 20 four-bedroom bungalows, has been the need to appoint and post judges to some of these courts. It may well be that the criticism the sitting president enjoys or receives from certain quarters for the alleged appointment of many judges to the Superior Court is a price the government is paying for improving access to justice and improving judicial infrastructure. It has perhaps become necessary to examine critically the number of appointments made onto the highest court of Ghana, the Supreme Court, since 2009. The record shows seven appointments to fill seven vacancies on the Supreme Court between 2009 and 2016. I take note that there have been 15 appointments to the Supreme Court between 2018 and 2023. However, a careful scrutiny of those appointments show, shows that they actually filled only six vacancies. Positions held by Justices Marfusel, Agnes Doji, Lina Megache, Professor Kote, and Clemens Holinega, all of them being appointees for President Kufuado, became vacant in the course of the same president on account of either death or retirement. And indeed, another justice appointed by President Kufuado who also retired this year, Justice Maria Mowusu. With such vacancies, fresh appointments have to be made. It is important that we remain resolute in our defense of the judiciary at all times. Ghana has gained a worldwide reputation for its justice system and legal services. The justice system of which the bar is an integral part is the glue that holds the society together. Decisions of our superior courts are cited in cases in other jurisdictions. Our courts are recognized throughout the world for their excellence, openness to innovation, and willingness to break away from conventions where necessary. For those who cannot come to terms with significant defeats in the court of law, it ought to be understood that the courts administer justice according to law. The court, as I always say, is not a messy chamber to serve justice based on affection or sympathy. I have stated before that as attorney general, I have not had every ruling on cases contested by me in the courts go in my favor. When rulings adverse to my interests are given against me, I do not go on a rampage attacking the court or releasing press statements to criticize those decisions. I sit back, reflect, dig deep into my legal arsenal, and deploy processes known to the procedural laws of the country to reverse them. On some occasions, I may not even succeed at all, but I live with the decisions and the consequences of them. Indeed, when I look back at certain cases whose outcomes I consider undesirable, regardless of my own views on the questions being judged in them, I come to the conclusion that we have in this country a fiercely independent judiciary in which all of us should take pride that an aggrieved citizen can go to a court of law and challenge anyone, including decisions of the president and parliament, and be confident and be confident that the court will give a decision without fear or favor. And I refer to recent decisions of the Supreme Court in the Ghana Center for Democratic Development and eight others against the Atenjura, Ezra Manan against the Atenjura, and Professor Apia J. Tutia against the Atenjura. There cannot be a bigger avenue for a lawyer to demonstrate high standards and integrity in society than service in the public sector. Indeed, the historic office of the Atenjura, whose functions are to advise the government impartially, provide counsel to it, prosecute crime in the country, and assist the draft of legislation, plays the role of a critical friend to government. On assumption of office, I signal the dispensation whereby the Office of Attorney zealously protects the interests of the state in litigation, just as private legal practitioners do for their clients, and become the standard bearer in the practice of law. I'm happy to note that through the sound legal advice we give to various ministries, departments, and agencies, we have averted huge judgment debt and spared the nation a lot of agony in other cases. 
where cases end up in litigation, the litigating capacity of the office of Atenjura has been immensely boosted to the point where the state now enjoys tremendous success in most civil litigation, including international arbitration and cases in foreign courts and tribunals. Such is the strength of the capacity of the office of Atenjura that now memorials, pleadings, and written submissions filed by the office compare favorably with those filed by any lawyer on the international stage, and where the state and the state has been holding its own in most international arbitrations and cases in international courts, and most of the time without the aid of foreign counsel. It is only when the peculiar circumstances of Indeed, it is only when the peculiar circumstances of a matter necessitate that recourse is had to foreign counsel that indeed we do so. Both domestically and internationally, since the last conference, notable successes that have led to a state saving amounts the equivalent of billions of United States dollars from judgment debt have been sought by the Office of Attainment and Ministry of Justice. As part of a process of reform of the Ministry of Justice, I recently authored a letter to the Minister for Finance requesting that he considers paying to my office a small percentage of the amount realized in those cases. This will go a very long way to address the liquidity challenges of the office. And it should be noted that this request does not even cover the huge admin debt that we save, which no one takes note of, but which, of course, runs into billions of US dollars. But it's also a request that I'm here to receive a response from the Minister of Finance on. <laughs> My lady, the prosecution division has also ably lived up to its constitutional duty of being the prosecutor of all crimes in the country, even though prosecution of so-called high-profile criminal cases is threatened by unjustified delays occasioned by the filing of unnecessary interlocutory applications and various frivolous appeals. The efficiency of a nation's justice system is tested by the manner in which cases seeking to hold high-profile members of account are conducted. That's unfair for so-called high-profile criminal cases involving the state and money laundering to drag on for years, while similar cases filed against the perceived ordinary members of society are concluded within six months to one year. There is clearly a need for legislative reform, and that is why the Criminal Procedure Amendment Bill I spoke about earlier on is very, very important, and I request the bar to lend its maximum support. On this call, too, I'm happy to say that the legislative drafting division of my ministry has been most helpful. Since the last conference, there has been the enactment of some important piece of legislation to strengthen accountability and promote integrity in Ghana. There has been a strengthening of the whistleblower regime by the enactment of an amendment of the Whistleblower Act 2006-720 to introduce a reward system for whistleblowers. The new amendment passed by Parliament only about a month ago ensures that 30% of all revenue accruing from cases conducted on the strength of whistleblower's activity is paid into the fund, and 10% of the income directly generated by the whistleblower's efforts is paid to a whistleblower. Some time ago, I bemoaned the inimical tendency on the part of public officers to enter into contracts with high rates of interest, especially compound interest. In order to curb this tendency, my ministry has successfully sponsored the enactment of an amendment to a contract out of 1960 at 25 to prohibit the payment of compound interest by the state in transactions entered into on her behalf by public officers. Henceforth, it will be unlawful for any public officer to enter into a contract in which the rate of interest is stipulated to be compound interest. The state has had press press will be further protected by this amendment to a contract act. The Minister of Justice is working on a few other important bills as well. I consider the passage of an alternative sentencing act an urgent necessity as a further avenue to reduce congestion in our prisons. A revised draft community sentencing bill prepared by my office is going through a process of validation by stakeholders and will soon be laid before Parliament. When account is taken of the sublime role played by state attorneys as counsel to the Republic, it is necessary that the human resource capacity of personnel of the Ministry of Justice be boosted so as to ensure that they deliver first-class world standard service to the nation. In this regard, a partnership between Georgetown University, Washington, D.C., and the Government of Ghana, represented by the attorney executed by my good self in September 2021, seeks to ensure that each year 
five lawyers would benefit from postgraduate legal education sponsored by a scholarship jointly funded by Georgetown University and the Scholarship Secretariat of Ghana. It is, it is pertinent to indicate that the first batch of five lawyers who profited from this arrangement have returned upon successful completion of their programs. Even though I must hasten to say that with the experience I encountered the Scholarship Secretariat in terms of delayed payments and incessant complaint by Georgetown over persistent failure of the Scholarship Secretariat to pay their portion of the scholarship, I, I find it a little bit reluctant to even proceed with the scheme. In addition to this, state attorneys regularly proceed to pursue various academic courses sponsored by some state institutions relevant to their roles. I cannot conclude this address without emphasizing that there's a need for us to build a world-class legal service in Ghana, working as part of an open global community to resolve modern-day disputes, many of which have cross-border elements. As a profession, we cannot stand still, nor would we want to do so. We need to move with the times, just as the rest of society does. But this does not and should not mean change or innovation for the sake of it. Appeals and disruptions not in tune with the needs of the times are undesirable. The bar is not without its problems. But let us not forget that the law is an endlessly stimulating profession. It is serious and fun at the same time. May God help us to continue to build for Ghana a nation founded on the rule of law, grounded in high standards of integrity and respect for mental human rights. Thank you very much. God bless us all. Thank you, the Honorable Chief Just, uh, sorry, Honorable Attorney General and Minister of Justice. I think I was carried away by the fact that her leadership's birthday is today. And at this juncture, may I humbly invite the birthday celebrant, her leadership. Justice Gertrude Isaba Saki Tokonu to give us her address and formal opening of the conference. Shall we please welcome her? Attorney General and Minister of Justice, Honorable Justices here in present, the National President and other Executive Members of the Ghana Bar Association, Presidents and Executive Members of the various regional bar associations, past Presidents of the Ghana Bar Association, distinguished members of the Ghana Bar, Nana Osabarima Kwesiata II, Domahini Ogwa Traditional Area, and Ananum present. Distinguished ladies and gentlemen, I'm greatly honored to be with you today. And indeed, I shouldn't have concluded the protocols without adding Mr. Francis Tokonu, my dear husband. graciously offered to follow me today because it's my birthday. <laughs> I'm greatly honored to be with you today. I also thank the leadership of the Ghana Bar Association for the invitation to address this August conference 
as well as a warm welcome and the consistent support and cooperation I have received since 12 June 2023, when I was conferred with the responsibility and privilege of being the 15th Chief Justice of the Republic. I am particularly piqued by the many coincidences of today. Cape Coast is a city I was born in, and it is a city I received my foundational education at Wesley Girls High School in. As has already been said, today also happens to be my birthday. Clearly, my times are aligning to assure me that serving the legal community and the people of this country is a call I must give myself wholeheartedly to. So allow me to commence this morning's remarks by reiterating my commitment to give my all and to contribute every leadership skill and essence I have to this role. And this commitment places the commencement and completion of the new High Courts in Cape Coast as an extremely high priority. <laughs> I am sure I speak for most of us when I say that from whichever side of the table one stands to sit or stands or sits to study, teach, guide, or administer law, legal processes and proceedings, it is still a great privilege to be part of the community of lawyers, legislators, law professors, and jurists, howsoever designated. The foundational and all-encompassing role that law plays in the creation and weaving of any society makes the legal community critical to the strengths and fortunes of a nation. The making of law itself is an innate and primeval function of society because there can be no order without law and there can be no validity without legality. Thus, even in the times of formation of normative structures and characteristics of societies, each human being carries part of the baton that establishes what constitutes law, lawful and proper practice that must pertain in society. Legal theories, therefore, in recognizing the inchoate nature of the primary source of law, have given us principles such as the unfathomable grounding, the unquestioned moral code, or the often questioned imperial direction of the strongest. Whatever the source of law, we, as legal experts, admit that law forms as human arrangements develop and may only be expanded and refined as society evolves into the shapes of the territory. In this regard, no one person can direct legality without the contribution of other participants of the community. Since law is a collective product of society's projections of will, then it is our critical duty on being given recognition as persons learned in law to ensure that our work produces the much sought after values of justice, fairness, and the rule of law that started the journey of lawmaking. Because it is these end after values that will allow for the strength and stability that provoke the effort of lawmaking in the first place. Our call is to simply serve the public. Our call is to simply serve our communities. We are required to be the guardians of rights, interpreters of the concept of justice, and advocates for justice for both the strong and the weak, without fear or favor, affection or ill will. This is why the theme for this year's conference is especially heartwarming. Honorable Minister, President of the Bar, distinguished guests, my view is that this high calling of serving the public 
with tools for interpreting and applying law, demanding rights, and imposition of obligations must be carried out with a deep culture of respect for the principles, edicts, and directions that society has shaped for itself. After all, it is society that fashions law, and it is society that demands the, that determines the standards of study that are accepted in order to be the determiner or administrator of what society then accepts as lawful, valid, and bearers of justice. Whenever we take our eyes off the elements of obligation, opportunity, and privilege inherent in the duties conferred on us, and focus on the reward that they bring for discharging our duties, I think that we would then miss the secret ingredient of success. Because success is when your service is accepted. Since the subject of ensuring high standards and integrity in public life is so broad, like the ancient text captured in John Godfrey Sachs' 19th century poem on the six blind men of India who visited the elephant and recognized parts of the elephant as a whole because of limitations of time and experience in their particular moment. Please allow me to choose fragments of today's broad theme that we can all jointly connect to in this moment for my current remarks. If we recall the poem, the man who touched the elephant's trunk said that this being is like a thick snake. The second who touched the ear decided that the elephant was like a fan. The man who touched the leg said that the elephant is a pillar, just like the tree trunk. The man who touched the side said that the elephant is a wall. The fifth man who felt it still described the elephant as a rope. And the last who felt its task said that the elephant was a spear. From where I stand and sit, I would like us to dwell on the ethical values of independence of mind, diligence, and integrity from the broad subject in the that is the theme of our discussions this morning. We are all aware that clear and high walls of ethical standards for how we must conduct ourselves and deliver our work have been set for us by the 1992 Constitution, the Legal Profession Act, the Legal Professional Conduct and Etiquette Rules 2020 LI 2423-2423, and the Judicial Service Act 2020, Act 1057, inter alia, as well as the various codes of conduct and international instruments, such as the Bangalore Principles of Judicial Conduct 2002 and the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth's Latima House Principles on the Separation of Powers of the Three Branches of Government. Therefore, whether we are functioning in the judiciary, in the academia, in parliament and legislative assemblies, organizations or corporate institutions, including acting within business enterprises, we are surrounded by regulations. So the discussion of standards does not sit within a subjective framework. It sits within objective frameworks and structures. So when we start considering standards and ethical standards at that, please do not let us think within certain mythical contexts. Let us bring our minds to the laws that bind us. Let us appreciate that there are a whole lot of laws that require us to deliver our work in very ethical models and not without ethical models. Independence of mind demands personal diligence in order to produce well-thought-out work that can proudly carry our name, our signature, and license number. Commitment to ideals of independent research, identity, and reputation will guide us to quality of work that, res that responds to the rigors of any form of corporate review and litigation. Diligence supported by personal integrity and attachment to propriety of conduct, 
compliance with law and avoidance of criminal conduct will no doubt make the arena of dispute resolution a safe space, not just for lawyers, but for the public that we are called to save. A keen appreciation of the necessity of infusing high standards of thought, intellectual depth, and commitment to professionalism will weed out the current high state of legal processes filed without validity, without care or validity of procedure, or even attention to the jurisdiction of the courts that they are filed in. They will weed out the seeming inordinate and reckless interest in securing orders through perceived procedural shortcuts, such as applications for judicial review that are inundating the courts. They'll definitely weed out the large numbers of addresses and submissions filed in court which are replete with wrong citations. As a judge, I find the toughest part of my work the need to check every citation. I think that integrity should compel lawyers to ensure that every citation in the work with their names and their licenses is correct. Please allow me also to say that diligence, integrity, independence, of mind and research will also weed out the horror of a public expecting their counsel to be paid fees and to be given extra money ostensibly to bribe court officials and judicial officers. Law has only one function, to build strong, harmonious and stable societies. And my earnest appeal is for the legal community to keep this singular goal before us, despite any other differences in functions and roles that we may have. So whether you are functioning from the bar or functioning from the bench or functioning as corporate advisor, let us bear in mind that the purpose of the law is to only build strong, harmonious, and stable society that our children can inherit and nothing else. Despite extensive rules made available for case management, many of our case management practices continue to lead to waste of time and money in court, leaving citizens and investors with a deep sense of frustration with the efficacy of our judicial systems. Inordinate periods of time spent on interlocutory applications and interminable adjournments owing to inefficiency in time and case management in the life cycle of cases have fed into the prevailing perceptions of corruption, which in turn affect confidence in the justice systems of our country. The broader implications of this state of affairs, especially in land litigation, debt recovery and human rights actions can drive up interest rates and deter investors from our country. It is important to remember that for every case unduly delayed, for every murky piece of legal landscape created, many potential investors are driven away. I am therefore glad to report that strong steps are being taken to assist registrars extensively review their processes from commencement to executions and for gaps in the integrity of the administrative duties to be filled with clear directions. The objective is to ensure that case and time management is done effectively for both citizens and judges so that judges do not wear ropes Citizens do not fuel their cars or pay transport to get to court to find that out of 20 cases listed for a day, maybe 
Business is done in only three or four. That practice must stop. I cannot close this address without a clear reference to technology. While we must be comfortable with technology and we are engaging technology from e-filing to execution, technological processes, just like manual processes, need to be watched carefully to ensure security, privacy, credibility, and verifiability. It is in this vein that I plead with all of us to move in tandem in the engagement of technology. Where e-justice has not been installed in a court, or e-filing, or e-service, or e-hearing is not being done supported by administrative structures and regulation, it is inappropriate for counsel to scan processes that are to be filed accompanied by mobile money for registrars and court staff to cover court fees and printing costs and to request the said court staff to file or serve the said processes. These practices tamper with the authentication and validation processes needed to support the integrity of court processes. Please remember that the register And so when such activities are not supported, you, you, any lawyer may find that you have sent these scanned processes from Accra to Western Region only for your process to be filed out of time and your client then suffers. Embracing technology can help us streamline our work improve efficiency, and better serve our clients. But like all aspects of law practice, anything done must be supported by regulation and accepted practice and rules. Let us bear this in mind, please. I recently encountered a Yoruba proverb, and I hope that the Yorubas among us do not get upset with the way I'm pronouncing it. It says, Asolanki, Kiatoki, and Yang. I'm sure I've done this wrong, but this, is, but this is how it is written. And it's supposed to mean we greet dress before we greet its wearer. No matter how privileged we may feel or be as legal experts, this is the only world we will leave to our children and grandchildren. Those who encounter us individually will encounter our society and communities before and after they have met us. They may decide to live with their investments and not to bother to further engage us, no matter, how, no matter our perceived expertise and abilities, if they are unable to sustain safe use of the land we help them buy or find absolute safety in the properties we register for them or they are unable to move other cases they get involved in because of the morass of procedural technicalities that they may fall into within the court system. So I pray for your support in all initiatives that I intend to introduce to bring faster and more effective justice to our doorsteps. These initiatives will include deepening the application of technology and e-governance systems to build a fully integrated judicial system that links all levels of court work. Using data for planning, monitoring, and improvement of the quality of court services. Very broad and sustained capacity building for both the judiciary and judicial service of Ghana. And consistent publications to support the work of courts. Even as the tools with which we prosecute our duties evolve, what remains unshakable is that the age-old values of honesty, integrity, dedication to duty, and patriotism will always yield excellent results for those who invoke and engage them. I therefore urge every lawyer to see himself and herself as a necessary partner in safeguarding the integrity of the justice system. 
May the Lord preserve and protect the Ghana Bar Association as you continue to stretch into excellence. And on this note, I declare this year's Ghana Bar Conference duly opened. Thank you very much. Thank you, Her Ladyship. Shall we now invite the President of the Ghana Bar Association, Mr. Yao Echampon Boafo, to give us his address. Please let welcome him.